welcome to the Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we talk about the stomachs of unusual insects like ants and bees. Now, bees can do some pretty interesting things, like collect pollen, but what about bees that don't collect pollen from flowers, ones that eat meat? And we find out about some pretty interesting ants and how they can use their second stomach, their social stomach, for networking and also exchanging of fluids and proteins. You may remember back in 2020 when things started to get a bit pear-shaped, we also had an emergence of some killer bees. Now, that story about these unusual species of bees that had wound up in the United States was enough to spark people's latent fears about some kind of insect invasion. But those killer bees pale in comparison to the amazing and terrifying behaviour of some rare species of little-known tropical bees. Bees that have evolved an extra tooth, not for stinging or pollinating, but for biting flesh. And a gut that is more akin to that of something you find in a vulture than what you would normally expect in a bee. Now, this comes from a paper published in the American Society of Microbiologists journals, MBio, with researchers from University of California, Riverside. Lead author on the paper was Laura Figueroa, along with Jessica Macaro, Erin Krasilski, Douglas Shenganga, and Quinn McFederick. Now, what they're investigating is a rare species of bee that has some pretty unusual microbes lurking inside its guts. And these work together to enable it to do some pretty strange things. Now, these bees can be found in Costa Rica and other places in South America. And they're called vulture bees or carrion bees. Now, they're a strange type of stingless bee in the genus Trigona, which has been known since around 1982 to feast on rotting meat. But exactly how this was able to accomplish this really strange feat is being a mystery for researchers for a very long time. Now, one of the weird and strange things as well about vulture bees is that they can produce a honey-like substance. But since instead of eating flowers, pollen and nectar, these bees eat meat, well, they produce a protein-rich secretion straight from the hypopharyngeal gland. And all of this is really only possible because of some pretty strange behaviour happening inside the gut of these bees. Now, if you look at a honeybee or a bumblebee, or even just general stingless bees, you can find that their guts in their microbiome are colonized by five core families of microbes. This is really amazing because unlike humans, bees pretty much have the same group of microbes in there the whole time. And when I say the whole time, I mean roughly over an 80 million year of evolutionary journey. By comparison, humans, when they eat something or change something, maybe have a probiotic yogurt or some other type of drink, or maybe have a different diet that they go on to, humans can change their gut microbiome pretty regularly. And the diversity in the human gut microbiome is massive across the world, even inside households. 
So that means that humans have such a huge population diversity. Why don't bees and how have bees managed to maintain that over such a long period of time? Now, given that we know this fact about bees, that bees have these specific gut microbiomes, researchers then followed up with a question of, was there something strange going on in the guts of these vulture bees that made it very different from what you would find in a vegetarian bee? And this would be to be expected. If you're eating something, then one of the purposes of, say, your stomach is to help process those foods. And that's where your gut microbiome comes in, actually helping breaking down the foods that you eat. If you are a vegetarian bee, you would actually eat very different things. And so the microbes you need to help break down that food would also be different. Likewise, if you ate meat, you would actually expect a whole different range of microbes there designed to help break down what you find in meat, very different from flowers. So the researchers took themselves to Costa Rica to reside with these bees, and they set up bait. And the bait is actually a pretty funny thing to imagine setting a trap for bees, but it was just fresh pieces of raw chicken hanging from branches, smeared, of course, with petroleum jelly to make sure that other creatures like ants didn't try and run away with their samples. Now, the bait actually worked pretty well in attracting the vulture bees, and often actually related other species that wanted to feed on the meat for protein. There are a lot of species of stingless bees out there, and they normally have little baskets on their hind legs that they rub across the flowers. This helps them collect pollen. But if you look at a carrion feeding bee, a vulture bee, they actually use the same thing to collect up the raw chicken. They carry chicken baskets, as UCR entomologist Quinn McFederick points out. Now, they collected up bees that they found, stingless bees that ate meat, that ate flowers, or that ate both. And they took them to then analyze the gut microbiome of all of these different types of bees that they found. And when they looked at the exclusively meat-eating bees, these vulture bees, they had a really interesting set of bacteria along the ride with them. Their bacteria in their stomachs were acid-loving, and there were some pretty strange ones that no one had really ever seen before, or at least seen before in bees. Now, where you do find these type of bacteria is actually in people, creatures that eat lots and lots of meat, particularly raw meat, things like vultures, hyenas, other carrion feeders. Now, the reason why they have these bacteria in them is, well, when meat starts to degrade and break down, you end up with some pretty nasty toxins, basically, as bacteria form on the surface of it, that starts to fight against itself. This, this flesh breakdown process releases all kinds of toxins that are normally pretty bad for us. There are these microbes on the meat competing as they break down this raw meat, leads to some pretty nasty things if left alone for a while. So the bees, in order to enable them to eat this, actually have to have microbes in the stomach that can sort this out. Now, one of the bacteria present in the vulture bees is lactobacillus, which is in a lot of humans' fermented food, like sourdough. They also had a lot of carnobacteria, which is what you normally would find with flesh digestion. These are the bacteria that you would see in the stomachs of hyena, or a vulture, hence vulture bee. So the bacteria inside these bees is pretty special and more like that you'd find in a, a serious predator rather than their compatriot bees. 
but it's more to do with what they're eating and how they can process that rather than the fact of their species, which is an interesting way of thinking about the gut microbiomes, microbes that are scattered across all kinds of animals, may have more in common with another type of creature which has a similar diet than you would with a cousin in the same species or family. Now, these bees, as I said before, are stingless. They have these little baskets on their legs, but that doesn't mean they're defenseless. And they have these biting teeth that can cause blister-causing secretions to their jaws that can pinch and pierce skin and create pretty nasty sores. So it's unusual, but these bees can actually bite rather than sting. And that's important because they actually need to break down food. So that tooth is pretty useful for chowing down on meat. Now, as we mentioned before, they actually feed on the meat and produce honey with it. They store the meat that they collect in the little basket in the special chambers, and then they seal them off for a couple of weeks before they then access it to process it again. And that means they have a honey chamber and a meat chamber in their hive, which is really complex set of management. But the honey that they produce is incredibly protein-rich, but also still sweet and edible and I wouldn't have been the one who wanted to put their hand up to try that but the researchers certainly proved that it was possible to eat. Now these researchers have answered a lot of questions about a really really strange species of bee in the paper published in the journal Embio with lead author Laura Figueroa but it also goes to show how incredible not just this species of bees are but the fact that the gut microbiome of bees overall has been so consistently kept and how much variation you get amongst species and how your gut microbe can change depending on what you eat. You are what you eat in many literal ways, at least it applies to the microbiome. Great paper published in the journal MBI. Researchers from University of California, Riverside. take a journey away from Costa Rica and strange bees into just investigating what happens with ants. But this story also has to do with what's going on inside the stomach of these creatures. This is from a paper published in the journal eLife. Lead authors were Sanja Akala, Marie-Pierre Mjorvel, Michael Stump and Adria Leboeuf. These researchers are from the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about ants is that they can have two stomachs. Not like in the way cows have multiple stomachs for chewing and regurgitating the cud and processing it again and again and again. No, the two stomachs in an ant serve a much more different purpose. One of them is actually for themselves, for digesting food. And the other is one that often comes first, a social stomach. Now, the purpose of this social stomach is actually so the ant can store and process, well, things, fluids, and share them across other ants across the colony. And this is one of, say, the big differences between a cow and an ant. A cow has lots of stomachs, but isn't necessarily passing around all that cud that it's chewing to the other cows for the good of the herd. Now, there's obviously some looking after the mother and the children in the calves, but that's pretty much about it. 
they don't have this colony-wide approach to processing fluids. And ants really do. Now, it's not about processing food or going through it. So the analogy to cows isn't necessarily a complete one. But the fluid exchange allows ants to share not just food, but also other important proteins that the ants themselves can produce. These could be cleaning proteins or anti-infection proteins, things that help keep the colony healthy and working well. That's why they're important to exchange. Now, one of the reasons why these researchers were diving into the ant exchange and their social stomach is to help understand why the ants are actually sharing these fluids. And to do that, they explored the proteins that they exchange, whether or not they're linked to an individual role in the colony, or are they tied to maybe the overall health of that particular colony. The team analyzed all of the ant-produced proteins found in the social stomach of a whole range of individual ants. Then they compared how these proteins varied depending on whether the ant had a certain job inside that colony. Whether it was, say, a forager, a soldier, or a nurse caring for the colony's young. All of these ants have very important and different roles and even body types and configurations than in the colony. And these are important roles and also physical and chemical changes that you can be seen inside their social stomachs. They also investigated if the proteins varied depending on whether or not the ants were part of a new colony or whether it was a more established one. They found key marker proteins that were basically tied to both the role inside the colony and also the age. So as an example, they found that members of a more mature ant colony had way more nutrient-rich storage proteins. And that's really important because those are necessary for growing and metamorphizing their young. So these fluids will be passed around and exchanged down to where they're needed in the rearing of the young. Whereas newly formed colonies aren't having waves upon waves of young that they need to care for and grow. So they don't need as much of that particular protein. So you see variation in the proteins found inside these ant social stomachs purely based on the life cycle of that colony. Now, the nurse ants that cared for the young also had anti-aging proteins in the stomachs. And this makes sense because other research has shown that these, this nursing type role is often a sort of not end of life, but a role for the older ants. They look after the younger ones and there's some of the less fit or less strong ants move from being say foragers or worker ants or maybe even soldier ants back down into that nursing role and get cared for by the colony as well. So the fact that they're having these anti-aging proteins in their stomach also makes a lot of sense. It also means that they can survive to look after that next generation. Now one of the key impacts of this research was to actually show that that ants can share amongst themselves metabolic labor that is to say that the processing of different sort of proteins and chemicals can be shared so that some of the ants can do that processing step even if they don't need the end of it themselves and they can pass it along. Here the ants pass things around in a way that they can easily access while they're sharing and it's useful for them to actually have some people process it prepared and then others to actually use it. Say humans and other creatures do the same sort of thing in our cells where we have different metabolic tasks given to different tissues or different cells inside their body. Here, the ants aren't doing that internally, they may be, but then that's not as important as the fact that they're doing it externally for the whole colony. And that is really fascinating. So ants, 
as a colony do a lot of things together and the role of an ant individual inside the colony is incredibly complex. They use their social stomachs to process and pass along fluids to the right place at the right time and to help out. Maybe they carry with them proteins to help extend the lifespan or to foster growth in their young. These proteins are carried in their social stomachs, exchanged, and help the colony grow at the right time. And they can also help share the workload of processing food and keeping themselves going. This is some great work that ants do with their social stomach, along with their normal one just for processing regular food, and shows how remarkable ant colonies really are. This paper was published in the journal eLife with research from the University of Freiburg. Lead author was Shanja Hakala. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From the social stomach of ants and how it helps them protect their colony and grow and expand, to bees that can eat meat and the microbes that help them do so. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>